you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18 has been our focus. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses six through eighteen. Um, a text of scripture that for almost uh, seventeen years, sixteen years, I've had a desire to preach. And uh, I have uh, embarked on this thing. Uh, anybody know how many weeks we've been in it now? Three or four <laughs> months. <laughs> I don't know what message this is. I think it's like 13 or 14 out of eight points. But I shared with you guys when I pulled this text together, I had almost, what, 20, 31, 38 points. So I've narrowed it down to eight. It's just I'm going to preach them all and kind of combine them all together. <laughs> so... <laughs> What can I say? I believe that this here, this is a synopsis that the Apostle Paul did. It basically condenses the whole book of Hebrews, and he does it in verses 6 through 18. Okay? I believe that this text is truly one of the largest problems that exists in the evangelical community today, is a lack of understanding this text. And it's basically a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The, the covenant of the law versus the covenant of grace. And um, I, I look at it in this perspective. External religiosity versus internal redemption. And, and I see that missing in in the church in America, uh, in Christians in Castle Rock specifically. And, and, and I believe that it is because there's basically no understanding of this. And I hope to clear up some of that. Let's pray, and then we will begin in verse 6. We will read the Word of the Lord, and then we'll pick it up. Father, I just praise You for the amazing things You have done. Father, I praise You for the amazing things You are doing. Father, I pray that we who are called by Your name with hearts of gratitude will understand with every breath the grace and mercy that You have bestowed, You have lavished upon Your people. Father, may our focus be Your kingdom and Your righteousness. Father, may we love You all our hearts, soul, minds, and strength. Father, with this text, I'm such a feeble vessel. I pray that Your Spirit will teach these blessed people. And Father, they will have ears to hear, they will have eyes to see, and they will be overwhelmed by the enormity that is presented here by our brother Paul. Father, may I be moved out of the way, and may Your precious saints... See the awesomeness of a powerful God. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning in verse 6, Who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel 
could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Their minds were hardened. And for to this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay, the Apostle Paul is taking the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and he says they both have glory, but the glory of the New Covenant surpasses the Old Covenant. Okay, and if you look at your outline, you'll see in verse 6, The new covenant, its glory gives life. Do you understand that under the old covenant, the Mosaic law, there was no way to bring life? It says right there, it's a ministry of death. It kills. It was a ministry of condemnation in verse 9. That does not give life. And yet it is because we are ministers of this new covenant, verse 6, God has made us adequate We are ministers of the Spirit that gives life. Okay? Second thing you see, it produces righteousness. 7, 8, 9. Okay? Do you understand that the Mosaic Law had no ability, none, to bring right standing with God? Righteousness. It's impossible. Couldn't do it. The Old Covenant, when, when I think about the Old Covenant, when I think of the Mosaic Law, I break it into three. Okay, one was the civilization, the civilized side of it. That was to say Israel is a set apart nation different than all the pagans around them. That's the civil part of the law. The second part of it was the moral law. That's what you call the Ten Commandments. Then you have the ceremonial part of the law. Okay, that was pictures and types and shadows. Okay, in the person of Christ, he says, in Christ, what happened? The law is fulfilled. Well, which part of it? All of it. Okay, the civil part, that you are a separate nation. Guess what? It's now fulfilled in the person of Christ. Because there now is no Jew nor Gentile. They are one in Christ. Okay, the moral law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's fulfilled in the person of Christ. I do not need pictures, types, or ceremonies, or shadows, or mysteries, because Christ is the fulfillment of it. All right? In Christ, 
we now stand in His righteousness. So we are now right standing before God. The new covenant that you and I should be ministers of now produces righteousness. Okay. Thirdly, it is permanent. 7, 10, and 11. Okay. It is permanent because the other is now obsolete. It faded. Now we have the permanence of the new covenant. Okay. And the person of Christ. It is permanent. It is eternal. It is so permanent and it's so eternal. It literally takes you at this point of salvation to the eternal presence of God. And it does it instantaneously. It is already there. I am immortal now. There will be a day when I will get rid of this body. But the person that I am, Terry, is eternal and permanent in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's it's not... <laughs> I heard a guy talk about it. You know, you've heard tulip Calvinism is tulip, five points of Calvinism. I don't John Calvin, I've read Calvin. He never had five points. But anyway, um, they, they say that the other guys are daisies. Okay, here's the other thing that the new covenant does. If you look at your outline, you'll see there in verse 12, the new covenant brings hope. Let me ask you a question. If you say, all right, I'm not going to do the ceremonial part of the old covenant. I'm not going to do uh, the societal part of the old covenant. I'll just do the Ten Commandments. Okay, how much hope can you put in that? Dude, I'll tell you what, I can do this for you. I can make it easier. All right? I can make it even easier than Jesus. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, so mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I'll drop your neighbor as yourself. Okay? I will let you say, I will put all my hope on every moment. I will love my Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. By the way, if you do not, you are condemned to hell. Got it? See, I'll make it easy. I'll, I'll get rid of nine of the ten. I'll just leave you one. I remember reading about Martin Luther when he was in the priesthood. And, and the, the, the monks, every morning, they would have to get up before breakfast and do confession. And it was not uncommon for Martin Luther to confess for five hours before breakfast. And the priest had an ongoing joke. Who was going to get Martin Luther's confession? Because you could end up with a cold breakfast. Okay? And they asked some of these priests that he would come and confess to. He says... He's been asleep all night. It's not like he's got cable TV or, you know, anything like that. How can he confess for five hours? And you know what? It was consistent. I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How much hope you put in that? That drives you crazy. The old covenant had no hope in it. It was a covenant of condemnation. It was a, co- uh, it was a covenant of killing you. That's all it did. If you go to the letter to the Galatians, Paul says, it is your schoolmaster to drive you to Christ. It was to show you the depth of your sin and your separation from God and the need of a redeemer. That's what the ceremonies were for and the rituals. Now then, I want to move on to the next one. The new covenant's glory is clear. 
is clear. Verses 13 and 14. We use great boldness in our speech, he said in verse 12. Why? Because we have this hope. Okay? We use great boldness in our speech, and then he contrasts it. We are not like Moses. Okay? Takes me back a ways to Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse 43. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, to speak to the Lord, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. It literally had a brilliance to it. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he would speak, until he went in to speak with God. Okay? This is Moses receiving the law of God. All right? And this is the illustration that the Apostle Paul uses on the superiority of the New Covenant to the Old Covenant. When Moses received the law, all right, there were several spiritual conclusions you can see here. In verse 33, he would cover this blinding glow of being into the presence of God. Okay, Verses 34 and 35 of that, he would wear a veil until he spoke. Because then he would be speaking of the glory of God, and he and when he was in the presence of God, he would remove the veil. And as he spoke on behalf of God, he would remove the veil. And then he would cover himself until the glow, the brilliance, this glory would dissipate, and then he would remove it. So Paul is telling you and I in chapter 3, verse 13, we're not like Moses. Moses put a veil over his face. Do you understand in the old covenant, there is a concealment that is inherent in the fading of the old covenant? It was not clear. The old covenant was penetrating. The old covenant was devastating. The old covenant was deadly. And you know what? Constant exposure to it was blinding. So there was an inherent covering to it, a veiling of it, an obscurity to it. And Paul is showing us it was shadowy. It had a veil on it because you could only get a glimpse of it. Just a flash of it. It was types. It was pictures. In our Sunday school class today, I was talking about the scapegoat. They would take a goat once a year and they'd cut its throat and they'd spill its blood into the bowl. And the priest would put his hand in the blood and he'd take his hand and he'd put the blood on the forehead of the other goat and he would lead that out of town and that was your sins leaving town. Really? Really? My sins just left on the head of that goat. 
I'd be one of these guys who'd be a better one out there, and the first thing come walking into my camp would be this goat with a blood hand on it. Dude, all of his sins just walked into my camp. <laughs> there was, you know, this veiling of it so that man would not be overwhelmed by it is illustrated by the veil that Moses put over his head. Moses communicated the glory of the old covenant. But he did it with obscurity. He did it without a lot of confidence. He put a veil on it so as not to blind the people. He he wasn't trying to hide the reality that it was a fading glory. Okay, Moses was not dishonest about this. Why would he want them to believe a fading glory that wasn't fading? Moses knew that in some time, this Shekinah that he was reflecting in the presence of God would fade away. See, they knew it was fading. He didn't keep the veil on all the time. Only when he had come from seeing God, receiving the glory, and when he spoke with God, and the glory would come back and he would reflect it, but yet again. Paul is telling us, telling the Corinthians, Moses just put a veil on, And there's a part, there's an element of the old covenant that is concealed. Okay, now you have, I want you to understand this because when I I tell you that the new covenant is clear, under the old covenant, it was God's plan that some of it was veiled. That was God's plan. Remember, um, let's see if I can illustrate this for you. First Peter, he speaks of the prophets who wrote the word of the Lord, and then they went back and read what they wrote. They searched to find out what it was they meant by what they wrote. Right? They wrote the mysteries that were there, and they didn't understand it completely. Remember that? Okay, you and I do the same thing. You and I do the same thing. The book of Revelations... Okay, book of Revelations. We do the best we can to understand what is to come. Right? I spent, uh, it's called eschatology. I spent almost seven and a half years dealing with Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Thessalonians and Matthew 24 and 25 and, and Revelations trying to get this to figure out what it is. What is this to be? This future event. And I'm going to be honest with you. So much of that book we make an effort at, but only those who live in the time it happens are really going to comprehend it fully. Do you understand that? We are like the prophets. We write it down and we search intently to understand well, we can't understand unless we go through it. We search and we search and we search 
to understand what is this book. Um, one of the men that I admire the most, and, and I, he has got to be one of the most brilliant men that I have ever read. Okay? John Calvin. You go read his writings, whether it's the Institutes or his commentaries. You see his preaching schedule. He started a seminary. He started a college. He did business stuff. He was a lawyer. He, you go through all of this stuff that he did, and you're sitting there going, how in the world does one man do that? The man was brilliant. And if you get his commentaries, you will get every book in the Bible except one. Revelations. He was questioned one time why he had not written a commentary on the book of Revelations. John Calvin was questioned. Let me quote to you his answer. Quote, I can't understand it. Unquote. That's John Calvin. Now, I've had all kind of people tell me, well, I got that all figured out, and that scares me. Because I've read Calvin. Calvin freaks me out. Okay? I mean, he had health problems. His wife died at the birth of their child. He had to raise his drunken brother's two kids. And he had all of this going on at college. He had seminary. And they got to the point where he was getting sick. He had exquisite kidney stones and he talked about a doctor advising him with his kidney stones to ride a horse around town at a hard trot and he says all it did was cause him to pass blood <laughs> okay and the whole time that he's doing this he is preaching and teaching consistently four times a day Try it. Matt preached last Sunday. Do you want to do it four times a day? It takes a little work. And on the whole time, he's writing commentaries. He's writing editorials. He's interviewing politicians. He's being interviewed by politicians. They're wanting him to set up this. They're wanting him to do that. And he says, I don't understand revelations. So when a person comes up to me and says, well, that's easy. <laughs> I just want to get away from him. Even when we understand much of what is in the book of Revelation, there are parts of it we, that only those alive at the time are going to understand. That's the same thing. Okay, the prophets tried to understand the Old Covenant and its purposes, and they struggled to grasp it, and yet only those who would go through the life of Christ, the murder of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ are really going to understand that the Old Covenant is now obsolete because it has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. It is easy for me to understand the Old Covenant because I'm looking backwards at it. That's not hard. We, as the prophets of the Old Covenant, wondering what it means in the book of revelations you know I, it's got a face like a lion and it stings and does not kill well I believe that's Apache helicopters <laughs> I had a guy tell me that what since when does an Apache helicopter not kill 
I, I don't, I think it's just what he said. <laughs> what is it? I didn't know. <laughs> and you know what? By the mercy of God, I won't know. <laughs> I don't want to see those things. The old covenant has a certain covering. The old covenant has a certain concealment. The new covenant does not have concealment or covering. It is not a veiled covenant. It is not a fading covenant. Fading was part of the symbolic passing in the fulfillment of the old covenant. It had to be fulfilled. The veil shows us it covered part of it. It was harder to understand. There's nothing veiled and there is nothing fading about the new covenant. The gospel. In fact, Paul talked in many ways and places about the mysteries. Okay, One of the best texts of this is chapter 3. Uh, and I'll just read it to you. Chapter 3 of the book... Uh, um, of Ephesians, beginning in verse 18. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace has been given to preach to the Gentile the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Remember the angels long to understand this redemption? Do you know who showed the angels what this redemption was? Read the text. It's the church. Do you get that? Why would the church want to assimilate anything else if we are giving wisdom to the angelic host? What does this world have to offer the church? I do not understand that. Our redemption through our lives in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ, we explain to the angelic beings what it is. And we want to add philosophy and psychology and methodology and systemology and all of these things to the church because we think it needs help. Excuse me. We are granting wisdom to the angels. I do not understand. If I read on. This is in accordance to the eternal purposes that he, Christ, carried out, in, or God carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness, there it is again, and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart in tribulations on your behalf, for we are of the glory. Then he begins to pray, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul says the reasons... Okay, you go back to your text in 2 Corinthians. He says, verse 13, We are not like Moses who used to put a veil, a cloaking over the face of the sons of Israel, would not look intently at what was fading away. But look in verse 14. But their minds were hardened. Okay, if you drop down there, you'll see verse 15, To this day. Okay, Paul says the Jews of his days could not gaze at this. The Jews could not stare at this 
look to look intently. We've already looked at this before in Luke 4, 20, 2 Corinthians 3, 7. They couldn't look at the brilliance of it. It's sort of like uh, I grew up uh, around people who welded. And, and, and it's funny because you got a bunch of kids running around and they're getting ready to weld. And the first thing they say is what? Don't look at that. And so all the kids do what? We look around at it. Dude, you know, gosh, that hurts. Yeah, funny, huh? Okay, it's, it's sort of like the eclipse. You ever seen a um, solar eclipse? Don't look at that. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, and then I mean, you think about it, how many times you just go up, hey, look, the sun. Yeah, you don't go look at it. But the blaze and glory of Moses being in the presence of God, that's the glory of the old covenant. He was in his presence. But remember, it was reflective of the person of God. And then it faded away. See, there's nothing wrong with the old covenant. It had a glory. It was God's glory. But it had also this certain, not only was it cloaked, concealed in parts, it had a fading glory. It had a fading element. It wasn't permanent. Verse 14, their minds were hardened. So not it doesn't have a permanence to it. It has a veil to it. And then guess what? Minds are hardened. Minds are hardened. And verse 15 says to this very day, basically unbelief. They didn't grasp the proper glory of the old covenant. Unbelief. See, there's a veiling to it. There's an obscurity that is fading to it. And there's also hardened hearts. Um, some really good understanding of this. Anytime something in the Bible is repeated, I really pay attention to it. The letter to the Hebrews in chapter 3 verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of the trial in the wilderness. Moses was going up on Mount Sinai receiving the law and they come back down and what are they doing? Making a calf idol. Okay, they hardened their hearts. He had just brought them out of Egypt. He had just crossed the Red Sea. He had just obliterated Pharaoh's army. And he says, don't harden your hearts. Verse 15 of chapter 3. While it is said... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Chapter 4, verse 7. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Guess what? They did. It's very, very common, people. Extraordinarily common. Okay? It's what I call intellectual blindness. I have a guy that I've been doing some work for, or had been doing some work for, haven't for a while. He, he's a vice president of a cellular company. Okay? So he, he makes three or four dollars. Okay? And he told me we're sitting and talking. Now, I mean, this guy's, is amazing. I mean, the stuff that he knows or, well, I guess he may not know it. He's just telling it to me and confusing me. But anyway, he told me, he says, he was raised in parochial school. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's junior high and high school. Okay. Uh, he went to a Catholic college. 
Then he said, he said it seems so ceremonial and ritual. So he attended a Presbyterian church. And you listen to the guy, he knows. He knows his way around the Bible. He knows what he's talking about. He says, but you know what? I'm an agnostic. He says, I don't believe if you memorize that whole book, it would have any earthly value to you. You know what that is? It's the blindness of the intellectualism that has created a hard heart. It's one of those, I know that. And I, and I, I deal with people like that on a regular basis. Well, I know that. This is extraordinarily common for external religious people. They will tell you, if a person tells me, I know that, let's say they come to me with a problem and I give them a biblical understanding of it and their response to me is, I know that. You know what? You have a hard heart. You have a hard heart. Because if you knew that, then you got no problem. <laughs> right? But you intellectually have the gigabytes of information, and it doesn't help. I, I seen uh, when I was on uh, back east that they've got a, an app now for your phone, an application that you can do your confession on your phone. I want one <laughs> because I don't know who I'm downloading this to, but I'm gonna mess with them. <laughs> okay, and I'm sitting there going. An app for my phone for confession? Really? You know what that is? External religion. Somebody told you you're supposed to do that. I'm supposed to do that. I see this across the boards, brothers and sisters. That word there, harden your heart, means willfully dull. Willfully dull. I would say it's willfully unbelieving. It was so in the time of Paul's time. Because he makes a statement there. If you go back to your text, and he goes back to that, and he says, At the reading of Moses, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Okay, At the writing of this letter, do you know when Moses was read? Every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21 says that the Old Covenant was read every Sabbath and every Sabbath the same veil remains. And that veil has an obscurity to it that they cannot see and it's accentuated by willful dullness. I remember going to a church several years ago, well before I was ever saved, and they started every service by saying what people call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. Da, 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 da. Okay? And you listen to these people. And they just said, blah, 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 blah. I remember Michael Jordan won his first championship. He said the Lord's Prayer. And everybody said, he's a Christian. Really? That's what it takes to be a Christian. <laughs> Dude, why am I working so hard? All right? No. That's external religiosity. 
what happens is that same veil, because of the dullness, and because it's obscured, and they don't understand the purpose of it. I watch people today propagating rituals and ceremonies and sacrifices. Okay, and and listen, it's not just Roman Catholicism, it's the Episcopalians, it's Orthodoxy, it's in the Protestant denomination, it is all over the place. And I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Why? Because they said I'm supposed to do this and this and this. And I have people who call up and says, "Um, we like to get married in your church. Um, Why? Well, my grandma's a Baptist. But you don't attend this church. Well, but my grandma's a Baptist. I have people call up and says, can you give us rent for, for the month? Because I grew up Baptist. Oh, great. I grew up pagan. <laughs> I, well, you think I'm kidding? <laughs> I, I worked hard at it. What happens is we get into the religious system or methods and we do we underestimate the righteousness of God's moral standard. It's attempt God's moral standard is a, his attempt to reveal sin. And those who want to put themselves under the old covenant are ineffective. Because they will not look at their own moral sin. You, I can look at Judaism today, and it's the same. But, you know, everybody says, well, see, this is like to the Jews, or the Catholic, or the Orthodox, or the Episcopalian, or the Methodist, or Baptist, and all the rest of it. When you start putting it in line, you know, take altar call. Walk an aisle, say a prayer. You know, how many times have you heard this? I've accepted Jesus. That's not the issue. Did he accept you? I don't understand that. But it becomes this system. And, and, and it, it's, it's this religious thing that it's external. You know, I'm just feeling guilty. How many people have come to me saying they wanted to be saved if God will heal their marriage? You need your soul fixed, dude. I mean, what are the ladies studying? Fear of the Lord. Where do you get that idea from? The old covenant. Here's my standard of righteousness. If you do not accede to this, you are condemned to my wrath forever. That ought to be enough to fear the Lord. Hmm. Perhaps I need to be saved because I think I broke the first 11. There's only 10. I did two. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? We don't do that. Go to the church today and tell me you'll hear that. It's a non-existent teaching. That is a lack of understanding the glory of the new covenant because there is a complete ignorance of the old covenant. The old covenant's glory was to say, you are headed to hell quicker than you ever dreamed. And I have pictures and types that I have a plan of redemption and it will be one plan. One way. And you had better understand the depth of your depravity 
And that is the clarity of the new covenant. It don't beat around the bush. Well, you don't understand. I've lost my job. Would you rather lose your job or your soul? That's why, remember, the contrast here is we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses. The ceremonial purpose was to symbolize the redemptive plan in Christ. That's what the ceremonies are for. Now it is fulfilled in the person of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Why would someone, let's say their conscience is bothering them. Let's say they've done something wrong. I don't care what it is. Cheated on their wife, cheated on their husband, drank, I don't know, robbed somebody. I don't think of something. Okay. Why would that person feel led to go into a booth to a human priest and say, I'm sorry, when there is one priest, and that is the person Christ. Why would people feel like they need to come to their pastor and say, you just don't understand. You're right, go to Jesus. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. I watched the church jump headlong in the mid-80s into quote-unquote Christian counseling. All it was is Freudian psychology mixed with the Bible. Sigmund Freud was an atheist and a cokehead. Water wrote a wonderful dissertation on paranoia. Why? We did coke. It's easy to be a genius on paranoia if you're doing coke. And I will blend that with the Bible, and I'm going to help Christians do what? Be paranoid. <laughs> Listen. The ceremonies symbolize the redemptive plan in Christ. And guess what? The Jews rejected it. They not only rejected the moral part of the law. Remember? Why do you divorce? You commit adultery. But why do you divorce? Because of the hardness of your heart. They rejected the moral part of the law by lowering the moral standards. Is that right? What do we do? They reject the ceremonial part because they miss the purpose of the ceremonies. Because they are so blind. The, they were so blind that the apostles had to preach all around Jerusalem that Jesus Christ must need to suffer and die to fulfill the messianic prophecies. They had to run around Jerusalem. Well, that was the epicenter of biblical study. And they had no understanding that the Messiah had to suffer and die. You know what that tells me? Experts had no clue. I look around today and I see the same. Their ignorance and their unbelief in the meaning of the old covenant made them completely ignorant of the new covenant. They did not understand that the old covenant was to drive them to sin in the moral area and then drive them to see their need for a savior. And they missed all of it. 
And by missing that, by rejecting that, by unbelief in that, a hard-heartedness in that, they could not understand the new covenant. The Jews of Paul's day refused to see the old covenant's purpose. I see it today, brothers and sisters. I see it today. If you can't see the purpose of the old covenant, you will never see the purpose of the new covenant. They did not understand the purpose of the law. They could not understand Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Um, In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 46, says this, If you believed Moses, stop right there. Ain't that the old covenant? If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's why today it's difficult um, to share with Jewish people. I have a Jewish friend of mine uh, that uh, we kind of go back and forth and uh, uh, he'll tell you he's agnostic. He, most of the Jewish people I know are what you would call secular Jews. I mean, they celebrate some of the high holy days, but other than that, they're, I wouldn't classify them as synagogue Jews. And he said, I could not believe what you believe. And I said, well, why not, Gary? He says, because my uncle was the most godly man I ever seen, and he did not believe that Jesus was Messiah, and he has died. If I believe what you said, then that means my uncle went to hell. And I will not believe that. What are you going to do with that one? That is a lack of understanding what the old covenant is. If you don't comprehend the purpose of the old covenant, you will never understand the new covenant. And here's, you know what the tragedy with external religious people are? Whether it's Judaism or Catholicism, or Orthodoxy, or or just people, you know, I'm Baptist because my uncle was Baptist and my aunt's Baptist and my grandma prayed for me to be a Baptist and and da 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 all the rest. And my grandma prayed that there would be a Baptist preacher in our family, and then my aunt told me after her death she'd have never believed it would have been me, <laughs> me either. But anyway, okay. The problem with those people is they believe they understand it. They don't know it was designed to drive them to despair of their sin. That's what it's for. Well, I don't sound loving. Okay, let them stay in their sin. Is that more loving? To show through the symbols and the pictures that God had a redemptive plan And his redemptive plan, as Jesus shared in John 5, was everything is pointing to the person of Christ. Remember Peter in Joppa? He's out preaching the gospel, and he has a vision up on the roof. What is it? Big old blanket comes out of heaven. It's got all the foods on it. And God said, you know me, I have upheld the dietary laws. Okay, I ain't done anything else right, but I ain't never ate no pig. Right? And God says, hey, I made it. You give thanks and you eat it. 
and go to the Gentile city in Samaria. Why? Peter, you haven't gotten it yet. You haven't understood it yet. The old covenant is obsolete. There is Jew, Gentile, and the church. And uh, Jesus said the same thing in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 38. 37 and 38 says, And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not know his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him who sent me. Why? Here's the promise. Here's the fulfillment of the promise. You didn't believe the promise, so you can never believe the fulfillment of the promise. And yet there are some at the time of Christ who understood the glory of the old covenant. Simeon, he understood it. Anna, she understood it. She's seen it. She's expecting it. And then he got knucklehead Peter. He's got to have a vision. But it says here, to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Why? Their minds are hardened. And there's no difference this very day. Same veil is unlifted. Hearts are, are still covered. There's an intellectual hardness. Failure to comprehend the purpose of the old covenant. Rejecting the old covenant, therefore, they are cut off from the wonder of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me give you a warning. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 28 and 29. Anyone... Now listen to this. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Got that? Amen. That's old covenant. You know, caught in adultery, you stone them, they're dead. Two or three witnesses make sure, you know, they're stealing, they're cut off from this, they're cut off from that. Read 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who trample underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean what? The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? It is a terrifying thought to land in the hands of God. How much greater is that terror to land in the hands of God rejecting the new covenant? There's no mercy. Paul says there are Jews who violate the old covenant with their blindness. Therefore, they also violate the new covenant. And that is even a greater terror. The old covenant was shaded. It was veiled. It had mysteries to it. It was hidden in part. And Paul says a proper understanding even of the hidden nature of it. Just understanding the part of this I can't understand. And that it was fading. Veiled statements would be revealed in Messiah a proper understanding of what would lead to a proper acceptance 
of the new covenant. See, we're blessed. I think about Abraham. I think about Moses. They're looking forward to something they can't even understand. Messiah, God, something's happening and it's the anointing and he's going to die and I don't understand what's up with that. You know, cursed is any man who hangs in a tree. How in the world could that be Messiah? But if you look at it, he is the fulfillment of it. Belief in the Moses' law would have prepared them for the belief in Christ. What was John the Baptist doing? Before Jesus showed up. Baptizing, wasn't he? But he had a different baptism, didn't he? What was it? It wasn't salvation. It was repentance. What was he doing? I am preparing the way. See, repentance comes because I look at God's moral law and think, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to turn out well. Help me to repent. And once you get there, it's like Luke 18 when the publican beats on his chest and says, Have mercy on me, Lord. I am a sinner. How many people do you see coming to salvation in the church today in America who look like that? I don't see them. I do not see him. If all the people who came to me in my, what, 17 years of pastor of this church were truly saved, we'd have a mega church. But they usually come because they're bartering. Help me get a job. Help me get a wife. Help me get a husband. Help me get rid of my kids. Whatever it is. You know, Lord, help me here. And they do not come broken, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? You don't see that. Oh, that's that fire and brimstone Baptist thing. (laughs) Man, we need some more fire. I know we ain't got nowhere near enough brimstone. See, I see the church today is satisfied with ceremony and ritual. They're not going to look at the moral saying. And I, I listened to these guys a couple of weeks ago who wanted to tell me about all these marriage things that they can do uh, in, in your churches. And, and, and it only cost you $75 an hour. They are satisfied with the ceremony. Why? It appeases our conscience. They never look at their own sin. We don't look at our sin. I mean, most of the people that I've dealt with in the church today want Jesus as an eternal life insurance policy. I'm going to do whatever I want down here and chase whatever I need down here. And then when I die, I go to heaven. But you'll see when they near that death's edge, they don't have no peace. Why? Well, I'm just hoping that that deal went through. Right? They use the rituals and the ceremony to save them and their failure to keep the moral part. Moses grieved on this. I was thinking about this. See if I can find it. It's real close to where I was. 32. 32-32 of the book of Exodus. 
But now if you will forgive their sins, and if not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. Why? He looked at the sins of Israel. He says, these knuckleheads, I'm bringing them to law and they ain't getting it. But it's no different than the Apostle Paul and Romans 9 when he says, I would wish myself a curse cut off from God. Would Israel be saved? Why? He's seen their blindness. He's seen their hard-heartedness. People blinded today. I see hearts hardened today. They didn't understand. Why? There is still a veil that hangs over it. A veil to that day. There are veils. It's easy for us to look at Judaism and Catholicism and Orthodoxy and Episcopalians and all these other things. But I see it in the evangelical body today. There is a veil. They do not see the clear, unveiled meaning of the new covenant. They don't see it. There are people today who have come to quote-unquote Jesus and they don't even know what they've been saved from. That's amazing. I know pastors who today cannot articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what they tell me? Well, I didn't do any evangelism classes in seminary. What the heck did you get saved from? You should be at least able to articulate that. And I just sit there and go, oh my goodness. If you don't know, your congregation don't know. True belief in the old covenant would have removed that veil. Because you would have been like the publican that says, oh wretched man, I am a sinner. Please have mercy on me, God. I'll close with this side. There's a group of people that I have witnessed in my years of walking with my king that are inherently this. They have hardened hearts and they look through a veil and they can't see it. And you know who they are consistently? Those who have been raised in the church. If you've been raised in the church this day, you really need to ask yourself. Don't ask your wife. Don't ask your husband. If you've been raised in the church, first, do you know the depth of your unrighteousness? Do you know the height of God's righteousness? And when you, quote unquote, accepted, received whatever it is you did with Jesus. Did you come because of fear and trembling of your standing before a holy God? Or did you come because that's what you were supposed to do? The ones that I have seen that struggle the most with understanding the old covenant's purpose and the glory of the new covenant, they have no clarity in the new covenant because they never grasp the purpose of the old covenant. The old covenant says, Oh my, 
I am separated from God. Not only am I separated from God, I am God's enemy. That there should put fear and trembling in anybody. And the people who have been raised in the church don't see that. Had a lady one time who was involved in this church for years and years and years. If there was a VBS, a Bible study, she was always there. And I mean, this lady memorized scripture and had 24 hour prayer things. She, she was on top of it all the time. She got mad when it was going to make me pastor. Okay. And she set me down. We were discussing it. And she says, Terry, the reason you have such a passion for the things of God is that you were in such darkness that when you came to the light, it was just an amazing thing to you. And I said, well, best I can understand Scripture is we're all in that darkness. There's, there's not degree. I mean, you're either in darkness or you're in the light. You're not sort of in the dim. And she says, no, you don't understand. By his stripes, I was healed. He had to die for you. This person's fourth generation in the church. Guess what? My sins, he only need to be whipped for. Your sins, he need to die for. That is a complete lack of understanding of what the old covenant is. But if you'd have watched this woman in the church, she was involved in everything. And then it dawned on me into that conversation. She ain't saved. She ain't saved. Why? She grew up in the church. She knew all of the words. She knew none of the reality. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you that there is a clarity in the new covenant. And Father, I pray that you, uh, those have heard these messages over these months, as it continues to build to its glorious conclusion in verse 18, Father, we'll lean full weight upon this. We'll be overwhelmed by this and understand the majesty and the magnificence of the glory of the new covenant. We who stand in that covenant today with a boldness of speech, not like Moses, let us not, let us not veil it. Let us not cover it. Let us not be ashamed of your gospel knowing that it is the power of salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your precious bride, your church. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this glorious, glorious calling, knowing that each and every one of us this day who is saved are now servants of a new covenant made adequate by the creator of existence. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.